Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, my fellow believers, and welcome into episode number 23 of Combat Bets with Jason Barron. We've got a lot of great content on this episode. Of course, we've got the return of Anthony Joshua this weekend. If he gets a big win here, he could set himself up for a huge fight against Tyson Fury in the future. I know that's what all boxing fans are hoping for, but I'm also going to be recapping Errol Spence Jr. versus Danny Garcia. But before I get to that fight, I'd like to talk a little bit about the co-main event with Sebastian Fundora. Fundora was taking on Habib Ahmed, uh, 12 rounds for the WBC Junior Middleweight Eliminator, and Fundora is a really impressive fighter. He was able to get rid of his opponent, Habib Ahmed, in only two rounds at the 1 minute 30 uh, second mark of the second round, and he really overwhelmed him from start to finish. A lot of uh, jabs followed up by some big right hands, and his opponent really just could not take the pressure, the reach, or uh, the overall skills of Fundora, who's only 22 years old. He has a professional record of 16-0 with one draw and 11 wins by knockout. And somehow he weighs in at the 154-pound limit for his division. But he's very tall. He's 6'6 with an 80-inch reach. Just ridiculous measurements for a fighter that's fighting at 154 pounds. I mean, measurements of an 80-inch reach and 6'6, those are usually heavyweights. This guy's fighting in a much lower weight class, and as a result, he's going to be the taller fighter in there, the one with a a significantly longer reach, and he's just shown over the course of his young career that he also has a lot of boxing skills uh, along with uh, his tall stature, and it's just going to be very hard for anyone to beat him, and he's only 22 years old, so really the sky's the limit for this guy. And I know uh, Jermel Charlo was at the fight and he was watching Sebastian Fundora. They both fight in the 154-pound uh, division. Now, I'm not saying he's re- ready for Charlo just yet, but give him a few more fights. If he gets a few more knockouts, looks really impressive. Maybe eventually he'll be uh, challenging for a world title against Jermel Charlo. But in the meantime, uh, PBC has an absolute gem in this fighter, a really uh, unique skill set in a unique stature that make him uh, a very uncommon fighter in uh, this weight division and I can't wait to see what he does next. He's not just a tall fighter, he's also very skilled. He showed a good jab, good boxing fundamentals and how are you going to get on the inside against this guy when uh, you know he's so tall and rangy? If I'm a shorter fighter, I'm looking to attack him to the body because he might be open for those body shots especially against a shorter fighter so we'll see if uh, some other boxers start to do that to him but Fundora is showing he's got all the boxing skills and I can't wait to see uh, where his career goes from here but a really uh, big opportunity for him in the co-main event of a Fox uh, PBC pay-per-view card and in the main event of course we had Errol Spence Jr. versus Danny Garcia. So for Fundora, it was a huge opportunity uh, to get some eyeballs on a pay-per-view card. And I thought he really rose to the occasion. It would have been better if he was in there against a better opponent. But he definitely did not squander the opportunity. Looked very impressive. And now before I get 
uh, to the main event on that evening, a word from our sponsors, betonline.ag. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. And for this weekend, I'm thinking about taking Devinson Figueroa to get the win over uh, Brandon Moreno. And then I also like Tony Ferguson to beat Charles Oliveira. And of course, I'm taking Anthony Joshua to beat Kubrat Pulev. So I'm thinking of uh, doing those bets for this weekend. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And now let's get to the main event on that Fox PBC pay-per-view card, which was between two top six welterweights. We had Errol Spence Jr., right now the second-ranked welterweight behind Terrence Crawford, and of course also Danny Garcia, the sixth-ranked welterweight behind Keith Thurman at five. So right now the top five, just to recap, are Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence Jr., Manny Pacquiao, Sean Porter, Keith Thurman, and at six, Danny Garcia. So for Garcia, this was a huge opportunity. If he could get the upset, it would set himself up for more big fights in the future. And I think he's still definitely a top welterweight, but not quite at that elite level of an Errol Spence. And the real question for a Spence Jr. going into this fight was how was he going to look, especially after sustaining a car crash in October of 2019. Well, he looked just as good as ever, maybe showed a little ring rust in there, could have been a little more dominant, but he really worked behind his jab and uh, caught him with some good overhand rights. Never put Danny Garcia down, but what's really tough about fighting Errol Spence Jr. is he's a very punishing fighter. Uh, Every punch he throws is with bad intentions, and even his jab was doing damage on Danny Garcia. As you could see on his face by the end of the fight, he looked like he had been beat up and really put through the ringer in there against Errol Spence Jr. And I thought Garcia might have won three or four rounds, but the majority of the fight was dominated by Errol Spence Jr. behind his very powerful jab and his uh, good combination punching. He really also showed good footwork which is one of his main strengths is his power and his footwork and also his timing and accuracy. He was really able to move around the ring well, uh, really control the ring for most of the fight. And I said in my preview, if he allows Errol Spence Jr. to fight off the front foot, it's going to be a long night for Danny Garcia. And the more he could push forward and put the pressure on Errol Spence Jr., much in the same way that Sean Porter did, he would have Uh, more of a chance and the fight against Sean Porter was definitely more competitive than the fight against Danny Garcia. It showed that Garcia's counterpunching style and uh, his less than elite speed was not going to be enough on this night to get past Errol Spence Jr. Danny Garcia was really going to need to take a lot of chances and really try to put the pressure on Errol Spence Jr., but he wasn't able to do that enough uh, over the course of the fight to garner the win. Now let's look at the punch stats. Errol Spence Jr., he landed 187 punches. 
Danny Garcia landed 117. Errol Spence Jr. threw 707 for a 26% connect rate. And Danny Garcia, he threw 700 for a 17% connect rate. So a little bit more accuracy and about the same number of punches thrown, both around 700 for both Garcia and Spence. So in that aspect, it was a really close fight. But the more devastating punches were being landed by Errol Spence Jr., which is why he ended up getting the decision. So a really big win for him. He really established himself as a top welterweight with a lot of options for his future. And now let's look at the total power punches. And Spence Jr., he landed 103. Danny Garcia also landed 103. However, Spence Jr., he only threw 288 for a 36% connect rate compared to Garcia, who threw 338 for a 30% connect rate. So you see the better accuracy with Errol Spence Jr. overall with all his punches, and then of course also with the power punches, which is really going to prove to be the difference in the fight. And I thought Danny Garcia definitely didn't have a terrible performance, but it wasn't going to be good enough to get past Spence on this particular night. And I just thought the overall work rate, boxing fundamentals, and that power jab of Errol Spence Jr. was really the difference in this fight. Garcia landed a few good left hooks, but definitely not enough to really damage Spence. And he really looked comfortable in there. And you could see him kind of take his foot off the gas pedal in the 9th and 10th rounds because he wanted to have a little bit left over for the 11th and 12th rounds. And so I thought Spence Jr. might have had to pace himself a little bit because this was his first fight back in over a year and after the devastating car crash. But he still looked like his old dominant self. And I can't wait to see where Errol Spence Jr. goes from here. And for Errol Spence Jr., he won by unanimous decision 116 to 112 on two judges' scorecards and 117 111 for the third judge. And it really just showed overall dominance. And the fight that I want to see Errol Spence Jr. in next is, of course, against Terrence Crawford. But I don't know if we're going to get our wish and if that fight will happen anytime soon. It seems that both fighters, both Crawford and Spence Jr., want to fight Manny Pacquiao. So we'll see if Pacquiao takes on one of those two fighters in his next fight. And Terrence Crawford was actually at the fight watching Spence Jr. against Garcia. And what I wanted to see is after the fight, him go into the ring or go up when Errol Spence Jr. is doing his post-fight interview and kind of, you know, egg him on, say, let's get this fight going. The the fans need it. Boxy needs it. But there was none of that. Terrence Crawford did not do that. And there was barely a mention of him all night. Perhaps that's because Errol Spence Jr. is promoted by PBC. And of course, Terrence Crawford is with Top Rank. So two different promotional outfits, but that really shouldn't affect how the business of boxing is done and how fights get made. However, we do know that does affect the business of boxing and how these uh, fighters get in the ring against each other. I would do a co-promotional tour for Earl Spence Jr. against Terrence Crawford, make it a pay-per-view event on ESPN and also on Fox. I think you could do that. And boxing really needs this fight. It would be the biggest welterweight fight in modern boxing history. So I'm really hoping we see 
Crawford and Spence. And if they don't fight against each other, then I expect Manny Pacquiao to be fighting either Spence or Crawford next. But the thing is about big fights like Triple G against Golovkin is that the fighters want to have to do it. Or like Wilder against Fury. Both guys want to fight each other and they came to a deal and they gave fans those classic fights. Now, with Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford, I'm not really sure if those two fighters actually want it. So don't blame it on promotional companies, on their manager. You blame it on the fighters if the fights don't happen because ultimately they're going to be the final decider on if the fight happens or not and if they give boxing fans a truly great event to witness. We don't know if that's going to happen. I hope it does. And now moving on to Danny Garcia. The guy that I would like to see him take on next is Virgil Ortiz Jr. He's very young and he's 16-0. Right now Danny Garcia is the 6th ranked welterweight and Virgil Ortiz Jr. is the 8th ranked welterweight. Ortiz Jr. right now he's with DAZN. So I don't know if they could make that happen between Fox and DAZN. Just like we don't know if they can make that fight happen between ESPN and Fox. So we'll see if they can get... Ortiz Jr., a guy that's really uh, highly thought of in the welterweight division at such a young age, put him in against a really world-class fighter like Danny Garcia and see how he fares. I think that would be a very competitive fight. So we'll see if we get those welterweight matchups. I think it would do a lot for the division. And some might say that Ortiz Jr. is too young. He's only 22 years old. But his record right now is 16-0 with 16 wins by knockout. So he's got knockout power. He's very dangerous. And a guy like Danny Garcia would put him to the test. And it would be really interesting to see who would win that fight. So I'm hoping the two fights we see are Errol Spence Jr. against Terrence Crawford. And also Virgil Ortiz Jr. taking on Danny Garcia. Now let's move on to my next boxing recap. And that was this past Friday from London, England. And in the main event, we had Billy Joe Saunders taking on Martin Murray for Saunders' WBO super middleweight title, which he retained by unanimous decision. A really dominant performance from Billy Joe Saunders. I thought he won every round and showed exactly why he is such a world-class fighter. He's very hard to hit, and he throws punches from weird angles sometimes puts his hands down to try to draw you in before hitting you with the pitter-pat of shots that really seem to bother his opponents. And like I said in my uh, preview of this fight, I thought that Martin Murray would just be too simple of a boxer, not have enough of the offensive firepower needed to really challenge Billy Joe Saunders. And that's why you saw such a unanimous uh, decision win for Joe Saunders. He won probably every round on my scorecard and uh, the judges scored it 120 109 twice and 118 to 110 so the really dominant performance that Billy Joe Saunders needed I thought he boxed beautifully got out of the way when he had to really just kept Martin Murray on the back foot who fights with a high guard so really he was just getting pushed back the whole fight and Billy Joe Saunders was able to land a lot of punches on him and really just embarrassed Martin Murray and this might have sent Murray to a retirement. He's a really great fighter. He had five world title defenses but could never quite win those fights. He's lost 
in the past to George Groves, Arthur Abraham, uh, Gennady Golovkin, Sergio Martinez. So he's been in there with some of the best boxers in his weight division. Unfortunately, he lost those fights, but he's still a very quality fighter. He has 39 wins, 17 by knockout, and 22 by decision, with only 6 losses and 1 draw. And he should be very proud of his career. He's 38 years old. He also does some commentating on uh, some boxing cards that I've watched before. So he can go back into commentating. But I don't think he needs to continue boxing. Especially not against the level of opponents like Billy Joe Saunders. Who's really just going to embarrass you and really show off all his boxing skills. And for Billy Joe Saunders, he still needs those big fights to really establish himself as the top super middleweight in his division. Right now, the rankings on ESPN are Callum Smith first, Caleb Plant second, David Benavides third, Billy Joe Saunders fourth, Anthony Durrell fifth, John Ryder sixth, Daniel Jacobs seventh. So maybe he takes on Daniel Jacobs next, who didn't look that great in his last fight against Gabriel Rosado. Or you put him in against Anthony Durrell, or perhaps the winner of Canelo Alvarez versus Calm Smith, which is coming up next weekend. I think that would be a huge fight for Billy Joe Saunders. Maybe you put him in also against Demetrius Andrade. So clearly a lot of big fights in the future for Billy Joe Saunders, especially after he puts on a dominant performance against Marn Murray. Of course, I'd love to see him take on Calm Smith or Canelo Alvarez in his next fight. So we'll see what happens and I'm sure he'll be watching very closely that Calum Smith versus Canelo Alvarez fight and see uh, perhaps a future opponent in one of those two fighters, if not both of them. I think they would be both big money fights for Billy Joe Saunders. Both Saunders and Calum Smith are both British, so it's a huge fight for British boxing. So a really quality performance from Billy Joe Saunders, and I can't wait to see him back in the ring. He says he wants to get back in there really quickly because he was out of the ring for so long due to the pandemic previous to this fight against Martin Murray. So I'm expecting to see uh, Billy Joe Saunders fight again early on in 2021, probably in January or February, especially because he looks so good in this fight. Really didn't take a lot of damage, showed off all his skills, and what makes him a very tough fighter to beat when he's on his game is his elusiveness, his ring activity in there, his overall stamina doesn't really seem to get tired over the course of the fight, and his boxing skills. He can throw a lot of punches from weird angles and really confuse his opponents as they really just cannot get close to him. We saw that once again against Marn Murray, and I can't wait to see uh, Billy Joe Saunders back in there against the top guy in his division, perhaps against Callum Smith or Canelo Alvarez in his next fight. I can't wait for that fight next weekend between Canelo and Callum Smith, and I'll be previewing that fight in my following episode. Now let's get back to a UFC recap. We had UFC Fight Night Hermanson vs. Vittori this past Saturday from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. And in the main event, we had Jack Hermanson taking on Marvin Vittori. Maybe the winner of this fight gets Israel Adesanya next. I don't know if that'll necessarily happen, but it might, especially because Robert Whitaker uh, turned down the opportunity to fight Adesanya for a second time to challenge for the middleweight title. 
So perhaps the guy in prime position now is Marvin Vittori, who looked really good against Jack Hermanson. I thought he was able to work behind that nice lead right jab that was really able to keep Hermanson off of him. And Hermanson definitely landed his own good counters, but it wasn't quite enough to get the decision on the judges' scorecards. And the main reason for this was because Marvin Vittori was really active with his hands and he more than held his own with Hermanson on the ground. When there were some grappling exchanges, both guys had their opportunities, but I thought that Marvin Vittori did really good with the transitions, transitioning sometimes from being on his back to flipping the position and getting on top of Hermanson. So really showed an advanced ground game against a very amazing grappler in Hermanson who we saw what he did against Kelvin Gastelum getting rid of him with a heel hook submission in the first round. But against Marvin Vittori, he was facing a grappler of his skill level, if not a little better. And then also Marvin Vittori just has a very big frame. So he was the stronger fighter in there, a little bit faster. And uh, youth also played an advantage for him as he's a few years younger than the older Hermanson. So overall, I thought that Vittori edged out this decision because of his overall activity in there and because Hermanson wasn't able to dominate enough in the grappling exchanges. And then when it was staying on its feet, I thought that Marvin Vittori was getting the better of Jack Hermanson, almost knocked him out in the first round with a beautiful straight left, I believe. That put Hermanson down, but Hermanson was able to recover and kind of tie up to get himself back into the fight, and he lasted the full five rounds. But overall, Vittori looked like he had more energy in there, more strength, more youth, and a little bit of a higher skill level, and he just wanted it more. He just wanted to win this fight more, and I think it's very possible that he gets Adesanya next. And in this fight, I thought that Marvin Vittori showed his full skill set, showed beautiful boxing skills, and also really an advanced ground game with some of his transitions in those grappling exchanges. Now let's take a look at the fight stats in a fight that Marvin Vittori won by unanimous decision, 45-49 and 46-49 on the other two judges' scorecards. And I'm not sure if he won all five of the rounds, but he definitely won a majority of them either three out of five rounds or four out of five rounds. Either way, it was enough to get the big decision win over a top middleweight in Jack Hermanson, who definitely gave him a good fight, definitely had his moments of success. But Marvin Vittori, with his overall octagon activity in there, kind of overwhelmed Jack Hermanson en route to the victory. And something else Marvin Vittori was doing was switching up stances so he's throwing jabs with both hands, which really confused Hermanson and kind of put him on the back foot for a majority of the fight. So I thought his stamina was really something that pushed Vittori to this big win. He didn't seem to get tired in there, and it really impressed me against a guy like Hermanson, who can really just go and push the pace and get a lot of takedowns, but against Vittori, he couldn't quite do that because of Vittori's own stamina and grappling which were just too much for Hermanson to overcome. Now looking at the fight stats, Hermanson he landed 139 out of 365 total strikes 
while Vittori he landed 202 out of 376 total strikes, so both very active there. And he landed 143 to the head of Hermanson. Hermanson landed 86 to the head of Vittori. So really great job there. And then you look at the control time. Vittori had 5 minutes and 47 seconds of ground control time, whereas Hermanson had 28 seconds of ground control time. Hermanson actually went for 7 takedowns over the course of the fight, only successful on 2 of them, and Vittori only did, shot for 1 takedown, but did not get it, but still controlled most of the grappling exchanges, often flipping the position one Hermanson would try to take him down. Overall, a very well-rounded performance from Vittori, and we'll see if he gets Israel Adesanya next. So, we'll see what happens in this middleweight division, but Marvin Vittori previously has fought Adesanya, lost to him by split decision, but it was definitely Adesanya's closest fight in the UFC. So a rematch between these two guys would definitely be something very interesting and worth looking out for. And right now the middleweight rankings are as follows. Israel Adesanya is the champion. The number one contender is Robert Whitaker. Number two, Paulo Costa. Third, Jared Kanier. Fourth, Darren Till. Five, Marvin Vittori. And six, Jack Hermanson. So for Hermanson, maybe he takes on Darren Till next. And for Marvin Vittori, perhaps put him in there against Paulo Costa, see how he does. And for Adesanya, I think he's still moving up to 205. So perhaps he fights at 205 first against Jan Blockwitz, then back down to 185 to perhaps take on Marvin Vittori next if he can win his next fight, which I'm hoping perhaps could be against Paulo Costa. Now let's move into some boxing previews in what should be a very busy Saturday in the world of boxing. And in the main event on ESPN from Las Vegas, we've got Shakur Stevenson taking on Toka Clan Clary, 10 rounds, uh, junior lightweight division. Shakur Stevenson, he's one of the best young fighters in the sport of boxing. Right now, he's only 23 years old and just getting better with every fight. He's five foot eight, and he's really talented in there. He has a record of 14-0 with 8 wins by knockout. So really just getting started in his career after competing in the Olympics. I'm not really too familiar with his opponent, Toka Klon Clary. But what really impressed me by uh, Shakur Stevenson is that he fights well beyond his years. And he's already learned the art of boxing, which is to hit and not get hit. Some boxers never learn this and they continue to take punishment over the course of their career. But this is definitely not the case with Shakur Stevenson who boxes with great fundamentals and has a great defense so he doesn't really take that many punches from his opponents in his previous fights. And he really impressed me in his last outing, a knockout of Felix Caraballo in the sixth round landed a beautiful body shot on Carabao that put him down and that was the end of the fight. So this guy can get it done going to the head or to the body of his opponents. He's a very well-rounded boxer and the sky's the limit for this kid, only 23 years old, already showing the boxing skills of a grizzled veteran in there, although he is just a young lion right now, just waiting to roar, waiting to get his big fight, his big opportunity, 
And this is another step-up fight for Shakur Stevenson against Toka Klon Clary. I expect he'll get through him without too much trouble. Since I'm not too familiar with his opponent, I can't say if he'll knock him out. But this is another big opportunity for Shakur Stevenson in the main event on ESPN. So hopefully a lot of eyes will be on him. And I think he'll put on a dominant performance and really just show off all his boxing skills. Showing a lot of variety in his attack going to the head and body of his opponent as he uh, punishes him over the course of the fight. And Shakur Stevenson... The future is really bright for him. He could be moving up to 135 pounds and fighting Tiafimo Lopez. Bob Arum has said that fight could happen in about a year's time. Right now, Lopez and Shakur Stevenson are both 23 years old, and it would be a really great matchup of two amazing young fighters in the sport. So we'll see if that fight happens. If not, he's got opponents like Lomachenko, perhaps Ryan Garcia, Luke Campbell. I mean, there's a lot of fights at the 135-pound division to make if he does end up moving up there and making that his weight division. I believe he'd be one of the best boxers in whatever weight division he decides to stay at, but I could see this guy becoming like a four-weight division world champion. I mean, that's the type of skills this guy has, and he just seems like he's very focused on boxing and has his head on straight. So I can't wait to see how his career plays out. And I'm going to be definitely watching Saturday to see how he handles his opponent. But the fight that I really want to see at 130 pounds is Miguel Burchelt taking on Oscar Valdez. Burchelt is an absolute beast in the division. I believe he's undefeated. And I think an opponent like Shakur Stevenson would really bring out the best in Burchelt. He couldn't rely just on his power and his on-forward pressure. He'd really have to box Shakur Stevenson and try to land those power punches on him. And for Stevenson, it'd be the biggest fight in his career against his most talented opponent in Miguel Burchelt. And I think they would just really match up for a very competitive fight to see who truly is the best at 130 pounds. So we'll see if we get that fight. And if not, then maybe uh, Kerr Stevenson will be moving up to 135 pounds where there's a lot of big fights for him there as well. If not, maybe he'll take on a guy like Leo Santa Cruz. Or as I said, the fight I really want to see is him against Miguel Burchell. So for this fight against Toka Klon Clary, I'm taking Shakur Stevenson to win, I'll say by 8th round knockout. Now another fight to watch out for on this fight card is Edgar Berlanga versus Ulysses Sierra. Berlanga is the guy that's been knocking out every fighter he's faced in the first round. So I think he'll get another first round knockout over Ulysses Sierra. He's one of the most exciting super middleweights in the sport and definitely a fighter to watch out for. So tune into that fight as well. That's uh, the third fight on that fight card. In the co-main event, we've got Felix Verdejo versus Mayo Shino uh, Nakanti. I'm not really too familiar with uh, Nakanti. I'm more familiar with Verdejo, so I can't give a prediction there. But I like Edgar Berlanga also to get the first round knockout. He's just a very devastating puncher, very heavy-handed. And I think he'll show that once again on ESPN. Now moving on to the next fight card, a little earlier in the day from London on DAZN. In the main event, we've got Anthony Joshua versus Kubrat Pulev 
12 rounds for Joshua's WBA, WBO, and IBF heavyweight titles. Joshua, he's one of the biggest draws in boxing. He's one of the best heavyweights in the sport. Some say he is the best. I think Tyson Fury right now is the best heavyweight. Of course, the super fight we all want to see is Tyson Fury taking on Anthony Joshua. So we'll see if we get our wish. The heavyweight rankings are as follows on ESPN. Number one, Tyson Fury. Number two, Anthony Joshua. Third, Deontay Wilder. Fourth, Andy Ruiz Jr. Fifth, Alexander Povetkin. Sixth, Joseph Parker. Seven, Alexander Usyk. Eight, Luis Ortiz. Nine, Dillian White. And ten, Kubrat Pulev. So in this matchup, we've got the second ranked heavyweight in Anthony Joshua taking on the 10th ranked heavyweight in Kubrat Pulev. But as we've seen before, anything can happen in the heavyweight division. I go back to that first fight between Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz Jr. where Joshua got stopped in the 7th round because I think he came in a little overconfident and didn't really have a good game plan against Andy Ruiz Jr. We saw in their rematch a much more measured approach for Joshua, who really stayed on the outside and just used all his physical advantages, his reach and his height, his speed and his accuracy to get that unanimous decision win over Andy Ruiz Jr. And for Kubrat Pulev, this is the biggest fight of his career. He's an older fighter. He's 39 years old, so he's really getting up there in age and it's really now or never for him if he's ever going to be the heavyweight champion of the world. And it starts with a huge upset win over Anthony Joshua. Joshua right now is 31 years old, so eight years younger than his opponent Kubrat Pulev, and with a really impressive overall record. So this should be a pretty competitive fight, but I like Anthony Joshua to get the win here by unanimous decision. And let's look at Pulev's record. He's beaten guys like Huey Fury before split decision over Derek Chisora. His one loss in his career has come to Vladimir Klitschko in the fifth round knockout back in 2014. So only one loss. And he's been also Alexander Dimitrenko, Derek Rossi. He's been in the heavyweight division for a really long time with a lot of experience and definitely deserves this world title shot against Anthony Joshua, but I don't think he'll have quite the speed, the power, or the boxing fundamentals to really keep Joshua off of him for a majority of the fight, which is what it would take to get the decision win over Joshua. And for Joshua, he really has to look like a great fighter in there and has to get the win if he ever hopes of fighting Tyson Fury in the future. The only way that happens is if he looks great against Kubrat Pulev. So hopefully Joshua learned from that loss to Andy Ruiz Jr. And he comes in with a better game plan and comes in as the fighter with the better stamina, the better boxing skills, and also the better power punching, which I think he'll all show over the course of the fight. But give Pulev a lot of credit for getting to this point. And he's definitely a live dog in there. He could get the upset. We've seen Joshua fall uh, to that before in his fights. So Pulev could take advantage of this by going on the front foot and really pressuring Joshua, making him fight defensively 
and really have to defend a lot of punches from Pulev. But if he doesn't stay active in there, then Josh will just be able to push forward behind his jab and really box fundamentally well, like he did in their rematch against Andy Ruiz Jr. A knockout could come in the later rounds, but I expect Pulev to be very durable in there, a very tough fighter, but he's, I don't think he'll land enough combination punching or get the better of Joshua in the overall exchanges to garner a decision win, which is why I'm taking Anthony Joshua by unanimous decision over Kubrat Pulev in a really big fight for his career, and hopefully the next time we see Joshua, it will be against Tyson Fury in the biggest heavyweight fight in modern boxing history. Joshua has to use his speed, his reach, and also his accuracy and punching power to win this fight. He can't get overconfident and think, oh, I can just knock this guy out and not really defend very well. He's got to use all his boxing fundamentals and he's got to stay very disciplined in this fight because Kubrat Pulev is a dangerous fighter. Looking at his record, he's got 28 wins, 14 by knockout, 13 by decision. And as I said, his only loss came to Vladimir Klitschko. And he's been top guys in the past like Derek Chisora. But there's no doubt that Anthony Joshua will be his toughest fight to date. And I can't wait to see what happens in this big heavyweight clash. And if Joshua can put on a dominant performance and set himself up for a fight against Tyson Fury. Moving on to the next fight card. That's also on Saturday, December 12th from Auckland, New Zealand on DAZN. In the main event, we've got Joseph Parker taking on Junior Fa, 12 rounds in the heavyweight division. Joseph Parker is one of the top heavyweights in the sport, maybe not quite at the elite level of a Joshua or Fury, but he's just right under there, very quality fighter, perhaps at the level of a Luis Ortiz or an Andy Ruiz Jr., Joseph Parker fights with his hands down sometimes, a very elusive style, very hard to hit, and can be kind of frustrating to fight if you're his opponent. He just uses a lot of good ring movement in there to really keep his opponent on the outside, very elusive. I kind of compare him to a heavyweight version of Billy Joe Saunders in terms of his overall boxing style and how elusive he is. And let's look at Parker's professional record right now he's 27 and 2 with 20 wins by knockout and 6 by decision and his two losses have come to Dillian White and Anthony Joshua however he did get a majority decision win over Huey Fury he's also beaten Andy Ruiz Jr. by majority decision so clearly showing that he's a world-class heavyweight and maybe he gets a rematch against Dillian White depending on what happens when uh, he fights Alexander Povetkin again. But maybe he gets the winner of that fight. I expect he'll get past Junior Fa without too much trouble. He'll just be too hard to hit in there and land his own counter punches, working behind a nice jab. And just overall, he's a really quality fighter that's hard to get a hold of and hard to land a lot of punches on. And for Junior Fa, this will definitely be the toughest opponent of his career. Fa is 31 years old, while his opponent, Joseph Parker, is 20 years old. And this is a huge fight for New Zealand boxing because both Junior Fa and Joseph Parker are New Zealand heavyweights. 
So I'm sure a lot of people in New Zealand will be tuned in for this fight. And I think that Joseph Parker will prove why he's a world-class heavyweight because of his head movement, his overall ring activity, his unorthodox style in there, and his frustratingly great defense that makes him very hard to hit. And Anthony Joshua was really just able to pressure him and not get too frustrated by the boxing tactics of Joseph Parker. And that's why he got the decision win over Parker when they fought back in 2018. And if Parker looks really good in there against Junior Fa, I'd love to see him either take on Luis Ortiz or maybe Alexander Usyk in his next fight. He's right up there in terms of his boxing skills, and those guys would be really great big-name opponents for him to take on. So we'll see what happens. I'm picking Parker to win by unanimous decision. I just think that his overall boxing skills will be a little bit too much for Fa to really take advantage of. And the next boxing card will also be on December 12th from Uncasville, Connecticut on Showtime. We've got Chris Colbert taking on Jaime Arboleda, 12 rounds for Colbert's WBA interim junior lightweight title. Colbert is a very talented young fighter. He's only 24 years old and he's already shown a lot of boxing skill in there and he has really good power. You look at his record, he's got 14 wins, 5 by knockout and 9 by decision. He can box or he can punch. He can do a little bit of everything in there and he's shown in his young career that he's very well rounded and can do a lot of things to flummox his opponents and make them get discouraged in there. His last win was a unanimous decision win over Jezreel Corrales back in January of 2020. So almost a year off for Colbert and I'm sure he's very anxious to get back in there against Jaime Arboleda. I'm not really too familiar with his opponent but I'll still pick Colbert to get the win here. I'll say by knockout in the ninth round. Colbert is a talented fighter that seems to have the full package and I can't wait to see how he does in the main event on Showtime this Saturday. So you're really going to want to tune into that. There's a lot of great fights. We've got Anthony Joshua, Shakur Stevenson, Joseph Parker, and Chris Colbert. I expect them all to win and really look great in there against their opponents. So a really busy boxing Saturday and I'm really looking forward to it with four quality fight cards on the schedule so I cannot wait to see how they all play out. But guess what fight fans that's not all the action coming up on Saturday. We've also got UFC 256 Figueroa vs Moreno and I'm about to get into that preview. So coming up this Saturday on December 12th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas Nevada the main card will be on pay-per-view on ESPN Plus at 7 p.m. Prelims start on ESPN2 and ESPN Plus at 5 p.m. Early prelims ESPN Plus at 4.30 p.m. You're not going to want to miss this fight card. A lot of decent fights coming up here. We've got Kevin Holland taking on Jacare Souza, Junior Dos Santos against Cyril Gain. So I'm really looking forward to seeing those fights on the pay-per-view fight card, but I'm going to go ahead and start with the co-main event. We've got Tony Ferguson taking on Charles Oliveira. 
And Ferguson, a slight favorite at minus 165. Oliveira, the underdog, at plus 140. Ferguson is 36 years old, 5'11", 155 pounds with a 76 and a half inch reach. Oliveira is 5'10", 31 years old, 155 pounds with a 74 inch reach. And both these guys are very quality submission artists. Ferguson has nine submissions over the course of his career. And Charles Oliveira has the most submissions in UFC history with 19. So Oliveira is going to want to make this a grappling match because Ferguson is very talented on the feet. We see him get a lot of knockouts in the past with his overwhelming pressure that just really wears on his opponents until ultimately... They have to succumb to the pressure. That's why Ferguson has 12 wins by knockout and 9 by submission, showing that he's a very well-rounded fighter that can get it done either way and presents a very dangerous opponent for Charles Oliveira. And for Ferguson, he's only had four losses in his career. Michael Johnson back in 2012. And after that, he was undefeated for eight years until he lost to Justin Gaethje back in May of 2020, the first UFC fight card really after the coronavirus hiatus. Ferguson and Gaethje really brought sports back and it was truly a historic fight. Ferguson unfortunately really took quite a beating in there against Justin Gaethje and lost by fifth round knockout. Gaethje was just landing a lot of overhand rights really countering very effectively whenever Ferguson would try to get on the offensive. And other than an uppercut that Ferguson landed, I believe, at the end of the second round, he really didn't have much success against Gaethje. Gaethje really showed a really impressive overall boxing acumen in there and really high fight IQ, really fighting the perfect fight against Tony Ferguson. And Ferguson, it's going to be interesting to see if he's recovered after that beating he took from Gaethje and how he looks against Charles Oliveira who's a very talented submission artist but uh, on the feet I expect he'll be outclassed by Tony Ferguson so it'll be interesting to see where this fight goes but Ferguson is no slouch himself on the mat with nine submission wins in his career so he can really get it done uh, either way and I expect he'll be able to hold his own in the grappling exchanges against Charles Oliveira, who's a very dangerous fighter. His last win was in March of 2020 with a submission win over Kevin Lee. That was a really impressive performance from Charles Oliveira, and his losses have come to Paul Felder in 2017, Ricardo Lamas, and Anthony Pettis in 2016. So he's undefeated after that loss to Paul Felder, he's gone on to beat Clay Guida, Christos Gaigos, Jim Miller, David Tamern, Nick Lentz, Jared Gordon, and most recently Kevin Lee. So that's why he's getting this big fight against Tony Ferguson. And Ferguson is a really tough fighter to go up against because of his pace, his pressure, his overall activity in there. He throws a lot of punches from a lot of angles, and really just overwhelms his opponents. We saw that against Donald Cerrone and Anthony Pettis. Ferguson was just on the front foot 
and did not stop moving, did not stop attacking against Justin Gaethje. We saw Gaethje use beautiful counter-punching to really beat up Ferguson. So maybe Oliveira can do that, but I don't think he has the boxing skills or the power in his punches that Gaethje does. That's why I think Ferguson will win this fight by unanimous decision. I'm expecting this to be fight of the night. Two guys that are very explosive in there. We've seen Oliveira land his own explosive knockouts, so he definitely could do that against Ferguson. I just expect Ferguson to come in very focused, and with his trademark style of on-forward pressure and amazing stamina, which is why I think he'll outlast Oliveira and get the unanimous decision win over him. I am really looking forward to this fight, and it could end up being one of the best fights of the year, as uh, Ferguson is usually involved in exciting fights, and that's why he's such a fan favorite, and whenever he's fighting, you're definitely going to want to tune in, because you just don't know what's going to happen. This guy is absolute carnage in there, absolute violence. You know you're going to get an exciting fight when Ferguson is on the schedule, and if he gets this big win over Charles Oliveira, I could see a rematch against Justin Gaethje in his future. Maybe he takes on Rafael Dos Anjos, who previously had a dominant win over Paul Felder. So a lot of options for Ferguson here if he can beat a very quality opponent in Charles Oliveira. And I think Oliveira's main path to victory here is to get a submission against Ferguson, but Ferguson has never been submitted in his career and definitely holds his own on the ground, so I'm not sure how much success he's going to have in the grappling exchanges, but I'm definitely excited to see how this fight plays out. Now let's move into the main event, which is for Figueredo's 125-pound flyweight title, and he's taking on a Mexican fighter in Brandon Moreno, and Figueredo is the favorite here, minus 330, his opponent. Moreno is a plus 260 underdog, and Figueredo, he is 32 years old, and he's 5'5", with a 68-inch reach, and his opponent, Moreno, is 27 years old, 5'7", 125 pounds, with a 70-inch reach. So Moreno has the slight advantage in height and reach, but Figueredo has the advantage in punching power, in wrestling, and in submissions. Figueredo, as we've seen in his previous fights, can either knock you out or submit you. He's a very dangerous champion, and I don't see him losing against Brandon Moreno. This is a very quick turnaround for both fighters, as they previously fought at UFC 255, which was back on November 21st. This is, will be the first time in UFC history where the same fighter in Devinson Figueredo will be headlining two pay-per-view fight cards, UFC 255, which was, of course, Figueroa versus Alex Perez, and now UFC 256, Figueroa versus Brandon Moreno. Figueroa looked amazing in his last fight against Alex Perez, where he was able to get the submission win in the first round after flipping positions and getting a guillotine choke on Perez, and he had no choice but to tap. Very impressive stuff from Figueroa, and he showed great body kicks in there early in the fight that Perez did not like at all. So this guy can do a little bit of everything in there. And I can't wait to see uh, how he does against Moreno, who's a very dangerous opponent. A lot of skill in there. Pretty well-rounded, as he showed in his previous fight, which was also on November 21st, when he knocked out Brandon Royval in the first round. 
and he had three minutes and one second of ground control time in that fight. That was only a five-minute fight as uh, he knocked him out at the end of the first round and really impressed me as he was able to control Royval's body on the ground and really just play around with him, go for a few submission attempts, and ended up getting the knockout win. Very impressive stuff from Moreno in a very exciting fight. He showed good stand-up game as well with some good boxing and threw a few kicks in there showing great striking versatility. But I think that Figueroa is just a dominant champion. A few skill levels above Brandon Moreno in terms of his overall fight game. And he's also a very smart fighter in there, able to adjust as the fight goes along. And I think that's why Figueroa is going to remain champion uh, come Saturday night is because of his overall skills in there. He's got an amazing submission attack and he also has power in both hands as we saw when he knocked out Joseph Benavides in their first fight. And this guy can use his strikes to set up his submissions. So really just a very dangerous fighter. And I think he's going to be too much for Moreno to overcome. So I'll take Figaro to win. I'll say by third round knockout. This should be a very high paced all action fight between two flyweights. But as I said Figaro is just going to be too skilled in there. And too well rounded. Which is why he'll get the knockout win over Moreno in what should be a very exciting fight. So two really exciting fights at the top of the fight card in Tony Ferguson versus Charles Oliveira and then Devinson Figueroa versus Brandon Moreno. And I expect Moreno to be somewhat competitive in there in the early rounds, but once Figueroa gets his timing down and shows off his power and all his skills, Moreno just might get overwhelmed and that's why he'll end up getting finished. So I really can't wait for Saturday. We've got Anthony Joshua fighting, also Shakur Stevenson, and of course a really strong UFC fight card that you're not going to want to miss. We've got Tony Ferguson in action, as well as Devinson Figueroa, a dominant flyweight champion at 125 pounds, and I like him to once again get the win. And don't forget, next weekend on Friday, we've got Gennady Golovkin in action, and on Saturday, Canelo Alvarez. That's right, perhaps the two best 160-pounders in the world will be going at it on back-to-back nights. So I'm really looking forward to next weekend. And tune in to my next episode to get a preview of both those fights with Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin in action. Of course, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Well, that will conclude episode number 23 of Combat Bets with Jason Barron on the Believe Network. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, continue to social distance and wear your mask as we get through this together. And hopefully a vaccine is just right around the corner so we can all go back to more normal lives. Kobe forever, Mamba forever, of course Maradona forever. Thank you so much for listening and tune in next week for a preview of Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin. And have a great weekend. Enjoy a really busy boxing Saturday and a really awesome UFC card. Thank you and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.